Welcome to the Davidson Day Community Podcast. My name is Pete Moore, Head of School at Davidson Day. Each episode, you will meet different members of our supportive and diverse community. You'll hear fascinating stories from parents, board members, alumni, and the wonderful people who work at Davidson Day. In this episode of the Davidson Day Community Podcast, we welcome back alumnus Omar Caldwell to campus. Omar is a graduate of the class of 2011 and is currently the Vice President, Enterprise Data Risk Specialist at Bank of America in Charlotte. During our conversation, Omar recounts his time at Davidson Day while sharing his personal and professional journey over the last decade. So Omar, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I thought we would start our conversation by talking about your time at Davidson Day. How old were you when you started at the school and what are some of your fondest memories? I began at Davidson Day in the sixth grade. Believe it or not, for me, I was nine, ten years old, actually. Uh, Yeah, so pretty young. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty much two years younger than my grade for majority. Once I got to my junior year in high school, I uh, repeated just to kind of you know, not go to college at 16 years mm-hmm. old and try to do things that way. Uh, but yeah, been at went to Davidson Day beginning in sixth grade all the way through graduation. So when I was at Davidson Day, we weren't here in this building. This wasn't even built yet. We were further down Main Street, close to the college, mm-hmm. like right before you get to those railroad tracks, hit a left. Um, there was a factory building and we owned or rented out like half of that factory building. So sometimes during class, like you could hear loud machines going off uh, in the back. So it was definitely a young and upcoming school at that time, maybe been around three or four years before I got there. Man, fondest memories from from back then. I uh, One of my best friends, Drew, he came to Davis today in fifth grade, Drew Allen. Uh, he ended up graduating a year before me, but we always rode together. We grew up in the same neighborhood. So I think, honestly, fondest memories. One is definitely car rides to and from school. His mom had the um, DVD player in the oh, van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were watching like Anacondas and stuff on the way to school, so that was always fun. At the school, just hanging with friends, definitely great relationships with the teachers while I was here. I took Spanish in middle school. I remember that Spanish class pretty pretty vividly, surprisingly. I mean, all, all kinds of memories. We could sit here all day and, and, and talk about that, you know, but Davidson Day was really just a great place for me to grow. I think one of the best things for me was just the size, being smaller, getting a little more uh, attention, feeling very comfortable with the teachers was was definitely advantageous for me. And why were you so young when you did you just? I mean, imagine you started school very young. Mm-hmm. You must have been like four when you started kindergarten. No, or something. so I was of age. I was at the right age when I started kindergarten. I went to another private school, so I only had one year in public school, my fifth grade year. And mm-hmm. prior to that, I went to a Christian private school where. The grades were workbooks. Mm-hmm. So it was like a, uh, a paper workbook, with maybe like 50 pages. There's one for each subject, right? Math, English, social studies, whatever. And there's probably about 12 to 15 pages per grade. The theory behind that was it would take you a year to get through all those books and then graduate the next grade. My parents wanted me to be this brainiac, just had me running through them, I guess. I ended up doing first and second in one year, third and fourth in one year. Got it. Then when I went to fifth grade, I was a little bit younger, but I kind of, I still, I guess, knew what was going on and yeah, was fine there. And then what was that like, sort of redoing your junior year? It was cool. The actual decision to redo my junior year was was pretty easy. I wanted an opportunity to play basketball in college. 
I wasn't, you know, a highly touted recruiter or anything, but, you know, leaving here at 16 to go compete with guys who were 19, yeah. 20, 21, that wasn't very realistic. Also, just the aspect of um, being 16 out there on my own, kind yeah. of in the college world, you know, kind of getting that first kind of jolt of reality uh, just made a lot of sense to repeat that year. I think the the hardest decision was just from 6th to that first 11th grade, a lot of my classmates had been there with me the whole ride. Mm. So come that next year when they were all seniors uh, and they graduated, yeah, that was a, a tearjerker. Yeah, I <laughs> For sure, right? Some of my best friends graduated and been with them this whole time at the school. But when it came to my senior year uh, and still being here at Davidson Day, you know, I, I kind of learned that, you know, I had more connections. Not didn't learn, but I guess, you know, kind of took for granted the connections I had outside of kind of like that core friend group, mm-hmm. that core class. Still had great teachers, still had great friends in my current grade and things like that. So yeah. just a little more kind of upfront, like, man, yeah. I'm going to miss my guys. But once it got to it, it was it was still good to be here that senior year. And I'm fascinated by you talking about you're at the factory, you know, before all that sort of that building. What are your memories of, I guess, switching from one school building to the other? My understanding is this was still being constructed when people started mm-hmm. moving in. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I remember the groundbreaking ceremony. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That was really cool. We were, I want to say, like, like in that area where the gym is now. Mm-hmm. You know, no parking lot, no none of that, but just, you know, a bunch of dirt, everybody. And then their mom was out in the lot. And our principal at the time, Bonnie Cotter, kind of had a shovel. We all got T-shirts and little hard hats. We, you know, just, it's just, it's just a yeah. cool, exciting experiment. I can't remember exactly how long between kind of groundbreaking yeah. and the school being built, but I know that my 10th grade year was our first year in the building. I want to say the gym took one more year. Mm-hmm. So there was times we were having basketball practices in the parking lot, sometimes up at the Ada Jenkins Center. They had a court outside, indoor. But, man, I mean, fondest memories kind of going – I mean, this – you look at it now, and I don't know, maybe some people might say this is this small, but coming from the factory over here, man, this place was huge. <laughs> <laughs> this place was huge. I mean, we had – our cafeteria was a, a, a decorated hallway, you know what I mean? Or But but this – you know, the whole cafeteria sitting there and, like, being able to kind of see everybody yeah. and eat lunch. We kind of had to split groups yeah. and eat lunch at different times. So eat lunch at the same time with all my classmates was always really cool. You know, the hallways just sometimes after school just kind of – that long hallways where you just kind of run, like, you know, like didn't have that much space inside yeah. to, to do or anything. So it was definitely very exciting coming over here. I mean, anybody from those those classes that was around could tell you it was a big move for Davidson Day for sure. It's so amazing the different things you take for granted, isn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've worked at schools in the inner city. I was at one in San Francisco and there's no green space at all. Right. And so then I've had people come here and go, oh, wow, it's so green. You have a field, you have this outdoor classroom. And then whereas, you know, it's very easy to compare yourself to other schools that have a hundred acres or mm-hmm. whatever, but it's so right. interesting that sort of that perspective. And so thinking about, you know, your time as a student, what was some of the things you've started talking about, it, but just made the school special to you? Because mm-hmm. you're still very involved, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you're often at events here and people sort of are so happy to see you and you're still very connected. So what was it that made it special to you? It's hard to say that this maybe didn't correlate to the size, but man, you it's just, just genuine connections. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I, I definitely don't really remember any teachers. Now, granted, yeah, that's fifth grade and before, but I mean, I remember my sixth grade Spanish teacher, you like by name, I'm sure if I saw her on the street today, I'd know her sixth grade mm-hmm. and then our seventh grade one. I mean, you just build 
such good connections. And and it's I don't think it's even beyond the size, right? I think Davidson Day has been fortunate enough to build a strong culture. Even as leaders change, as administration changes, as teachers change, nothing really gets lost. Mm-hmm. Just in far as like greeting people and, you know, like checking in to seeing how they are. You know what I mean? Like there's just there's an energy kind of every time I come here, you know, that's whether I'm seeing, you know, Miss Brown or Mr. Smith, who I go back to that 10th mm-hmm. grade year, 10th, 11th grade year with, or seeing the players, you know, that I coach over the past two seasons before this one. I mean, there's just, you can feel that energy and that that connectivity really kind of go from generation to, to generation, I think. And that's something that's that's been really cool for me, being able to to stick around and and stay involved and come back to the school and, and keep those connections strong. You know, I'm I'm looking at kids on my team and talking to them about their experience going through Davis and I'm you know, I can I can relate, you know, what I mean I can say, oh no, yeah, I understand, you know, this teacher or I understand how that is and being in a small class and whatever. But it's just the the, the, the I would say again, you know, that that energy it's just very transcendent here. It almost doesn't matter who's really around. Good to see familiar faces, but it's just contagious, I guess. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because that was my feeling too. And so I I interviewed at the school in January of 2020, and that was my experience just walking through the halls and meeting people was that there was just this genuine love for the school. Mm-hmm. I love what the term you use, sort of transcendent, right? Like mm-hmm. There's people who just have worked here for either a short period of time or a long period of time, but they're here because they love the kids, they care for each other. Mm-hmm. And it's been fun in my role in the last couple of years is just like, how do we how do we capture that and enhance it, right? Make sure, you know, especially as we go, as we went through the pandemic, it's very easy to sort of become fractured or to whatever, like just everyone go into their little corner, but we still tried to sort of bring everyone together and how mm-hmm. do we how do we celebrate that? And yeah, it's 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 great to hear you sort of feel that and express that because that, that's been my experience as well. Mm-hmm. It's cool to speak, to think about, you know, from the earliest time of the school before it was even here, that that was sort of like the magic of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so talking about a little bit about basketball, you played basketball here as a student and then you played in college. What led you to basketball? As a sport, when you were when you were young, uh, just family, family. Okay. My mom was a McDonald's All American. Oh, no way! In high school, played at UNC Charlotte. If you look up kind of the UNC Charlotte record books, I mean, her name is still in there, man. She could she could go. Well, that's amazing. She, yeah, one of them ones. And my dad, he didn't play beyond high school, but just still love for the game. Yeah, and a good understanding of just kind of the physical aspects, like weight room and training and stuff like that. So, I mean, really, since I was just a kid, like we just. My mom played basketball. My dad liked basketball. I wanted to be involved in basketball. Yeah, I mean, I played at Davidson Day all the way through, uh, you know, middle school and then high school. I mean, my whole family, my brother played middle school through college, also at Sewanee. My sister, Maya, you know, most people know her story coming through Davidson Day. Very highly touted player, played at Georgia, uh, had some WNBA appearance. She's actually in Tel Aviv right now playing in Israel, so... She's the the cream of the crop, you know, yeah. if, if you will say. And then my youngest sister, Nevea, you just, you know, she played in high school, played in college a little bit. So we just, that's just what we love. It's something that kind of brings us together. Oh, nice. We always, as a family, we're very tight knit. We have a good time. We always mm-hmm. support each other. It's really fun to see how hard we all work mm-hmm. and then go out there and, and see us and watch each other perform and support each other on the court. I mean, that's just something that just really it excites us, you know, and maybe just seeing how our parents used to come to all our games yeah. and support us. So it's just something that kind of get used to and don't really want to let go. And tell me a little bit about your experience at Swanee. Like just how was the recruitment process? Mm-hmm. What was it like when you first got there? How was it playing there? 
it was wild. So again, not I was okay in high school. You know, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't the best player on the team or anything. Um, but I played hard. And one thing I always I was always very coachable. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was actually I was talking to my boss yesterday or earlier last week. He's <laughs> he's from Bosnia. He was a professional handball player for, no for a while before he ended up coming over to the states and and working at Bank of America. But that was something that he told me. And kind of just a discussion about my performance so far was saying, you know, I can tell that you play basketball your life because you're very coachable, you know, and that that's that's something that transcends beyond the sport, right? That's something yeah. that as a as a kid, if if you can be very coachable and take instruction and and not take things personal, but then apply that, mm-hmm. right? Apply that feedback, you can really go a long way and you can take that skill to to anything you do. So just being coachable was something that I had really going for me as a player, played hard, didn't have any looks <laughs> from a recruiting standpoint. It's funny, my junior year. So here's here's the story. My mm-hmm. junior year, this put this this is kind of like put everything in motion for me. Miss Hallman was the English teacher here at Davidson Day at the time. Shout out Miss Hallman. <laughs> she nominated me for a writing award at Sewanee. She submitted one of the papers I wrote for class. Uh, I won I won the award. It came with a certificate and a a book. I want to say the book was about Thomas Jefferson. I have to be totally honest. It was definitely a president. I definitely <laughs> didn't read it. <laughs> but because of that, come senior year, I started applying to colleges and everything. And my mom was like, hey, what about that one school you won the writing award for? There's probably some scholarship money in that. You should apply. And I said, mm, mom, I'm pretty sure there's no scholarship money. I looked it up. It looks like Harry Potter. It looks like Hogwarts. You know, I don't know if I, that's really the place for me. And she's like, okay, well... There's probably some money she needs to apply. So I did my research. There's no money in the award. I said, Mom, look, there's no money. I don't need to apply. It's not. She's like, you need to apply to that school. Okay, fine. It was, I guess, like the common app at the time, so it mm-hmm. wasn't too hard to apply. I ended up applying, got in, still wasn't thinking anything about it. And then I remember one day sitting in Miss Brown's classroom after school, and I got a call from the assistant head coach at Sewanee. And, I'm, I mean, I'm literally – I either did or had scheduled like a trip to Oglethorpe in Atlanta. I was going to try to walk on and be a soccer goalie. Like I just thought, you know, basketball wasn't going to work, you know? So he calls me. I step out the room talking to him, whatever. I don't even know how that even happened. But, I mean, basically wanted me to like come up for a visit. I go back in the room. I'm screaming. You can ask Ms. Brown. I'm sure she remembers that day. I was so excited. But turns out Coach Johnson, who was coaching the basketball team at the time, even though I wasn't a great player, wasn't playing a lot, whatever, I guess they they saw my I don't know how they saw my common app. It was like I guess you know like six two basketball player or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the recruiting class was kind of slim that year. They called Coach Johnson. He spoke well about me. Got a visit. Went up there, played a little bit, pick up. They thought it was going to be a good fit, so they gave mm-hmm. me an opportunity. It's the only chance I got. And I, I mean, I ran with it. You That's know? amazing. Got the chance to play ball, so I didn't really look back. But yeah, so like if if Miss Hallman never nominates me for that award, yeah, all kinds of things could have changed. You know, I'm glad that she did. I'm glad yeah. my mom made me apply. I love Sewanee. It was a great experience. And I don't know a lot about the school. Can you just, for those who are listening, my mom's probably listening in Australia, knows nothing about it. Like, tell me about the school. You mentioned it looks like Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an Episcopalian school. Sewanee, the University of the South. Mm-hmm. I want to say, dating back, don't quote me, like 1860s for sure, mm-hmm. was definitely uh, just kind of a, a staple in the South. It's in Tennessee, okay. Sewanee, Tennessee. On top of the mountains out there, the closest Walmart's like 30, 35 minutes away. I mean, you're not – there's a Piggly Wiggly. That's the grocery store, Piggly Wiggly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of, off, you know, store brand things in there. But a very small school. It might be a little bit bigger now when I was there. 
looking at about 16, 1,700 students. Mm -hmm. Similar to Sewanee in the size aspect and in the kind of in the, in the culture as well. I mean, I think that it's just, I mean, I met so many just genuine people. Mm -hmm. You know, I met so many genuine people with so many different interests, but could easily still come together and support each other and be good friends and be reliable resources. I think that even with that school being so small and predominantly white school, probably, I don't know, very small percentage of, of African-Americans usually at that school, especially ones who don't play a sport or something mm -hmm. like that. But they're still never really felt like a minority. Okay. Definitely was able to still connect with a lot of other people of color, people from different races, different backgrounds. Just, I mean, beyond everyone being more than just tolerable of, of, of different types of people around. I mean, very welcoming and, and inclusive. And that was something that I really enjoyed there for sure. So the, the question I had was, I was saying is, you seem to be a very welcoming and open person. And how do you bring people together either in your personal life or professional life and make them feel connected? That's a great question. I think one thing for me and bringing people together, getting to know them and kind of building that, that, that genuine trust, I think most importantly, you got to show them that you truly care. Mm. And then from there, I mean, I'll even talk about building my relationship with the basketball team over the last couple of seasons. I had a couple of them like, so Mallory, I mm -hmm. knew Mallory. Yeah. I coached her in AAU maybe two seasons, two summers before I came and started coaching the school team. So I mean, me and Mallory, we both we both love basketball. <laughs> I have to I have to say I don't that whole summer and then the whole year here, I have to give Mallory her props. I don't think I beat her one time in the post practice shootout yeah. games we used to play. I got close, but I yeah. couldn't get Mallory not one time. So like there were some kids who kind of I knew a little bit. Jesse Jesse Wiles, mm -hmm, she played yeah. her sister played with Maya. She played with Maya a little bit. I, didn't I know think. That. Okay. And then her and my youngest sister played AAU. So I knew that know that family well. But then there was other players like Sky. I didn't know a whole lot about Sky. Mm -hmm. Callie just came over. Mm -hmm. um, Audrey, et cetera. Right, the list goes on. So I think for me, I wanted to make it clear to them that I truly cared about them outside of basketball. Right, I, I'm not just here to get wins. You know, no win or lose. I, I'm still going to have your back. I'm still going to, you know, be a good role model, good coach for you. Um, then secondly, from there, I kind of had to step back and allow them to come to me a little bit, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, you want to show them that you care, but you kind of don't want to go overboard. And then there's like, oh, why is he trying so hard, da-da-da? So, I mean, I kind of just, you know, and if I find things that we were both interested in or all interested in, I could bring those up. So, for example, I noticed early that Sky was a, a big sneakerhead, right? She was really focused on her shoes. So that was something that I would try to wear different shoes to practice and see if Sky would notice. Oh, I like those kicks. I'd be like, thanks, Sky. <laughs> like, I, like, I didn't, you know, da-da-da. So that was easy for us to, you know, also build a good relationship but I think that's part of that that listening, right? You know, it was, I don't it wasn't a I don't remember exactly how we picked up on it, but I know I didn't just like straight up ask guy like, hey, like, do you like stingers? I think kind of just like through conversations mm -hmm. and seeing what she likes, like I kind of learned that about her. Once you've gained that trust and people are comfortable with you, I think from there it just kind of becomes it, it becomes a lot easier to kind of get people in the same room or get people to buy into the same goal. Mm -hmm. The you know, the most important thing is this goal, whatever I'm trying to attain by bringing everybody together, right? If if we don't reach that, you know what I mean? That's that's okay as long as, you know what I mean, we've still, we still built this trust and we've still built a good relationship. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that's kind of the most, a lot of people, because I mean, I know that's something that I, even with like when my boss, he 
is very invested or cares a lot about kind of my personal growth outside of just our path in data management. You know, usually I, we meet, you know, once a week and almost every time we meet, I learn either something new about just the bank as a whole or about him and his background, right? We, it's not just, you know, come in, sit down. What have you done? Okay, that's cool. Get out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Some people, <laughs> some people like that, you know, but yeah. I, if you want to build trust, you know, it's got to go a little bit beyond just the X's and O's or the personal performance at work and things like that. So, I mean, really just showing people that you care about and that comes by listening. And then I guess for me, it's just, I don't know if you said some, you said some nice things about me. I have <laughs> So thank you for, I'm glad that, you know, I kind of give off that energy, but you know, I think that's just something that I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe my, my mom is really good at it. Just yeah. kind of, you know, picked it up from her, but yeah. people got to feel like you're genuine. I think that's very important. Thank you. Another great answer. And and so jumping into, you know, your work experience and everything, and you, you sort of touched on a little bit there, but what was your sort of transition from college and then to Bank of America? Mm. So I didn't pull the thread through before. Okay. Okay. But my connection is Sewanee basketball. Okay. How do we even get to Sewanee basketball? Ms. Hallman submitted that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my junior year in college. I met a gentleman by the name of Jim Folds. He played basketball at Sewanee in the 70s. He is, I believe he's still the all-time Sewanee assist leader. So Jim has some game. But he was running a consulting firm here in Charlotte that serviced the financial industries. So through my coach just reaching out to past alumni, there's actually an event every year in February that I'm going to, this upcoming February, just kind of a basketball alumni networking event. So we get a lot of basketball alum come up. We make the freshmen ref the game between the alums. There's a lot of heat there yelling at the freshmen. That's always fun. <laughs> the alums stay and they'll watch us play the next day and stuff like that. So I met Jim Foles at that event my junior year. We just stayed in contact. And then by the time I graduated, uh, he had offered me a job at his consulting firm. That was in July 2015. By November 2015, I had my first client-facing project with Bank of America oh. in the compliance testing space. Mm -hmm. So I did that for November, December, and then the project ended. They kept going on the business development front, brought it back in April 2016, and then I joined that team in April, and I was with it. ended up going full-time. I was working for that team as a contractor until for about a year and a half, October 2017, I went full-time Bank of America still with that group. And then just July, uh, July 2021, I just switched to the group I'm in now, which is the uh, Enterprise Data Risk Management. And can you explain what that is? Every line of business at Bank of America, really any bank at this point, right, it's 2022, has data. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that is consumer lending, right, they've got your social security number and everything you put in income because you're trying to get a credit card, you know, or whether that is global wealth and investment management, right? They also have a lot of not only your personal data, but the data on your investments. So all of that data not only has to be handled appropriately based on federal laws, rules, and regulations, there's also enterprise policies and standards, right? That, you know, sometimes a lot of those federal rules kind of data is kind of a ever-changing landscape at this point, because like, for example, we've got businesses that we cover, right? So ultimately, we are the second line of defense. So what that means is the consumer lending 
loan officers, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're the first line of defense, right? They do their job. They collect your data. They know that is confidential data. They're not supposed to share it or send it to their personal email and things like that. So they're the first line of defense in themselves. Us, we're the second line of defense because we are constantly overlooking their policies, right? Their their playbooks, how they do their job, making sure that is up to par with the enterprise standards, along with also up to par with any federal laws, rules, and regulations around that type of data. So we're the second line of defense looking at all that. Then there's a third line of defense, which is corporate audit. I mean, very similar, not nothing getting like nitty gritty there. And then the finally, there is the the federal government and the OCC that who can actually come in and find the bank millions of dollars, billions of dollars for not handling data appropriately. So look, so kind of in theory, we catch anything that they're not doing appropriately and correct it before audit comes in and audit catches it all before the Fed comes in and anything the Fed and OCC catch, now Bank of America is getting fined big money, you know, for not having second and third line coverage over these activities. And what's it like working in an, an industry that's evolving so quickly? Like the technology is changing so quickly. The way people view data is, is evolving so quickly. It seems head spinning. It's challenging. I think one of the, one of the biggest takeaways that I kind of understood recently, I'm about a year and a half into to this role. So basically there's annual risk assessments that every line of business has to write up or create based on how their business is doing aligned to the, you know, the applicable risks. And the main business we cover, so we talk about lines of business, right? You've got the consumer lending, you've got the G Global Wealth Management, et cetera. There's a line of business at Bank of America, Enterprise Data Strategy and Governance. They're similar to us in where they're, they have their own reporting that they give out on data issues at the bank, but we kind of come behind them as their second line of defense. Ultimately, their risk assessments over the past couple of years, like the, the, the final score hasn't been great. Hmm kind of consistently. But when you step back and look at it, laws around data are changing every year. There's new standards. Like it's, it's getting more and more strict, more and more rigorous. So it's not like this team is falling apart, right? And they're not getting anything right. It's just that the landscape is it's changing. changing. You yeah. know, the laws are different. There's, 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 there's new data privacy laws that, you know, they're still, they just not got caught up with stuff from last year. Now there's new stuff coming out. So they got to get it. So that was one thing that was, when I first saw the problem, I'm like, man, they've been, <laughs> we got some work to do because they've been behind the bar for a while. But then when you step back and really look at the details, like, oh, no, 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 no. They're definitely, if you look at where they are now compared to where they were two years ago, man, they've made leaps and bounds. But it's just, there's new laws around data privacy, new laws around data regulations, data governance that just really impact how different businesses at the bank should handle that data. And I mean, when you think about how people are talking about the market right now and like, are, are we on the verge of a financial crisis? Are things going to you know, shift down eventually? Like the last market crash led to a lot of changes in federal regulations, a lot of new laws and things like that. So when you think about kind of the, the climate right now, it makes sense that the laws are getting stricter, getting tighter because, you know, want to try to avoid that at all if possible. Congratulations on being selected for Bank of America's Next Level Leadership Program. Tell me a little bit about the program and what it means to be selected. Thank you. Um, the program is very, it actually, they, we just had a capstone event last week, so it oh, just finished. Yep, congrats. Yep, it was like a, thank you, it was like a six, six month program. It was really cool. It was really cool. We had, so basically the format of the program was once a month, we had a, a big speaker come in, right? Someone who is very knowledgeable in the topic of the month and they would come in and speak your presentation. And then 
within kind of off schedule to those presentations, we had three smaller group meetup sessions. So ultimately, the whole program this year was around 400 employees at the bank. Oh, wow. So my peer group was 15 people and a, and a moderator. Mm-hmm. So we would go to the main monthly discussions. You jump onto the, the WebEx, right? You listen in. Mm-hmm. They were very interactive, too, as far as, you know, folks asking questions and about, like, what is what is your brand? Like, that was one of the bigger things, just an understanding. Personal brand? Yeah, personal brand, right? If you're going to build a career at the bank, you've got a network. And when people bring your name into different circles for opportunities, like, you want your name to be associated mm. with with a brand. Like, what, 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 what kind of work do you do? Are you a... Are you a, a good project manager? Are you results-oriented? You know what I mean? Are you a team leader? Are, or are you someone who works better by themselves? Do you, are, you, are you the data guy, right? Just kind of making sure that the people – because at Bank of America is very – if you really want to move up, it is highly recommended that you have a sponsor who is someone in one of the higher levels of the bank who can speak on your behalf. Mm. You know what I mean? Almost like, like, like a mentor, but – a little bit more than that, just in terms of your name gets brought up for opportunities. They can literally, you know, speak for you and say, I think this person would be a good fit, you know, because of X, Y, and Z. So a lot of the conversation was certainly driven towards creating your brand. But even beyond that, I think for me personally, one of the best things I got from the program was we had someone come in and talk about your why. Like, why do you come to work every day? Why are you here? And I thought that was really important because you're going to, especially for me, and I think this, a lot of people will relate to this, but you're going to get your best results if you're doing something that you're passionate about. Yeah. If you're doing something, if you have a passion driving what you're doing, right? If you, if you have, and, and everybody's why can be totally different, you know, but I mean, we were on the call and people were sharing their stories and it ranged from people saying, you know, they, they like helping customers. They like feeling like they're helping customers and being client facing and the, oh man, you know, thanks Pete. I can't believe you just helped me get this mortgage rate to where I need it. I mean, that's such a blessing for my family. That's something that really drives people every day to come to work and help others. Right. So that's a, that's a no brand. That's a great why, you know? And then some people's why is like, you know, I've got, I got a family of my own and I come into my job and I want to be able to, you know, give my, give my kids more than what I had in order to do that. I've got to move up the ranks and I got a picture of my family right here on the desk and that drives me every day to come in here and bust my tail. So again, every, every why is a great why, yeah. but you know, that's another good reason. And it was funny the same day we had that presentation, I then went to speak with my boss about a one-on-one. I didn't even tell him about the presentation, but ultimately our discussion went to him telling me his why. And his why was that as a, since he spent so long, as a professional handball player, and he had friends who went to college and got a business degree and were doing really well in business at a job, but excuse me, he wanted people to he wanted people to know he could do the same thing. That was his why. He just he just wanted people to know he could do good work. Now he's a managing director at Bank of America, running a whole new enterprise data management team. So like I mean that was that was powerful to me. And just, you know, like I've been doing the handball for a while, but I just wanted to make sure people knew like I can do whatever I can do whatever I set my mind to. Like yeah. don't don't think I'm just an athlete type of thing. We're gonna wrap up with some rapid fire questions just to conclude our conversation. What is the book or books you most frequently recommend to others? I have recently been reading Roy Williams autobiography, Hard oh, Work. Yeah. Hard work. Big Carolina Tar Hill. Fan. Oh, you are? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got my oldest sister went there. 
my I've got a bunch of cousins who went there. I got cousins who played there. Oh right, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I so a diehard Carolina fan. But Roy Williams, I mean, I I just just as a he just I don't know, man. He's just just watching him as a kid. Like I was like, man, Roy Williams. He just just I just got a lot of love for him, man. Mm-hmm. So, but his work hard, his book hard work is really good because he's a guy who came from nothing. You know, he's a guy who really came from nothing, kind of broken household. But once he set his eyes on basketball, like once he learned the game and ended up going to, he's from Asheville, going to Carolina. Um, once he did that, man, he just kind of never really stopped and that drove his passion and he worked his butt off and got everything he wanted and then some. So, I mean, it's just really very inspirational for yeah. me being someone who was always watching him on TV all the time as a kid. How long, is that a recent book that he's published? No, it came out, I want to say it came out in like, oh, Oh, so Seven. It's been around it might have been 2010. I can't remember yeah. if it was before or after the 09 championship. Okay, but. great. Thank you. Yep. What are some things that you love doing in your free time? I I love basketball. I love ping pong. Oh. I'm a we had a when I was here, there was a ping pong table in the student lounge oh. upstairs. We had our photography teacher, Mr. Carter. He was he was always out there, so he taught us how to play the game. My parents pick us up late, so we'd be playing ping pong. I like ping pong. Like listening to music, like hanging with my friends. Me and my brother play a lot of video games, FIFA, Madden, 2K, all of that. Like traveling. Mm-hmm. Like traveling. My family went to Spain to see Maya play last March. Mm-hmm. And that was my first trip out of the country, even kind of leading up to that. And after that, I've been doing a lot of stuff in the U.S. So yeah. trying to keep staying on the move. Yeah. I love traveling. I just love seeing new stuff. Like yeah. I grew up in a very small town. And I just thought that was the world. Mm-hmm. Like just that's everywhere was like that. And then mm-hmm. at 18, I moved to England from Australia. And I was like, oh. It's not. It's not. Like it's, and people live different. Yeah, very different. If you could learn a new skill, what would it be and why? If I could learn a new skill, if I yeah. could learn a new skill, I would learn how to play saxophone. Oh, why the saxophone? The saxophone. So I played piano growing up as a kid oh, a little bit. Okay. I haven't played a lot since, but the saxophone just, and I've never played, but it feels like it's an instrument, but like your your voice also carries a lot of weight. You can, you know, like when you press a key, you press a key. Like when yeah. you strum it, you strum it. But I feel like on the saxophone, I feel like you can get a nice blend of like the instrument and then, you know, just, just, just your voice, which is so malleable and right. You can adjust it at your fingertips. Yeah. So I kind of, and it hides your inability to sing if you yeah. can't, right? You just, the saxophone is going to sing for you, but you get a little bit of play there. So I want to learn how to do that. I've never thought about it that way before. You're right. But like with those sort of wind instruments, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's your voices in it, in, yeah. the, in the key, not just the, like you said, you play as like a, a note on the violin or the guitar or wherever. Mm-hmm. That's a cool way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? In the last five years, coaching. Okay. Yeah, coaching. Because I was, before I started coaching, it's funny, I was, I had just made the semi-pro team here in Charlotte, Charlotte Tribe. Congrats. And I was practicing with them. This is, thanks. This was um maybe like 2018-ish. And then my friend called me, Sharice, and because she was coaching the AAU team. She called me, like, hey, you want to help me coach the team? I'm looking for somebody to help. I was like, let me think about it. And I was like, man, I just got back to like, you know, I was I was missing college ball. Like I just got back to like having a team and going mm-hmm. to practice and it was all cool and I was happy. But, you know, I just thought, I, I don't know. I just decided like, you know, this playing is great, but I mean, you you just can't do it forever. Yeah. No matter in what capacity, can't play forever, but probably coach for a lot longer. So I, I just took the shift. That first year was great. I haven't really, I'm in a little hiatus right now, mm-hmm. but I haven't really looked back. I know I'm going to get back into it. Now that's awesome. What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a similar career to yours? My advice would be mostly around building your network mm-hmm. and even as, as I mentioned before, building your brand, right? Yeah. When you 
when people think about you, when people mention you, like you want those key characteristics to yeah. be right at the top of their mind. Yeah. So I think that's really the most important, building your brand, building your networking. And from there, you know, whether that's, you know, at the bank or in coaching, right? If mm-hmm. you build that, if you're a defensive-minded coach or if you're the data guy, right, and that goes a long way and you do good work, people are going to respect that. And what two or three words you think people use to describe you? Like when you think about your personal brand and just who you are, you mentioned the data guy, this and that. I think the first word is really going to be aligned to coachable, mm-hmm. which, you know, kind of whichever capacity you want to see that in. But, you know, I'm a guy who I don't take feedback personally. You know, mm-hmm. I take constructive criticism pretty well, I like to think. So I think that's one thing people know. They can they can ask me to to make a change or ask me to do it, and I'm going to do my best to, yeah. to, to do that. Maybe the second one would be team-oriented slash team leader. I do better working with groups. Yeah. It's just better to kind of not only bounce my ideas off of people, but see other perspectives and bring that all into one one deliverable, one outcome for sure. And then I think the last word that people would describe me as, I don't know, maybe maybe lighthearted, good spirit. I don't know. I try to just keep things energetic a little bit, maybe kind of exciting. Don't yeah. necessarily like let things be dull or harp too much on, you know, negative aspects, kind of a glass half full. Yeah, it's such a cool thing to think about is, and it's interesting that you've brought this up is when it comes to young people, one of the things I've said over time is that when people describe you, they generally only use a few words, right? They don't say, let's just choose some false person. Here's Frank. He is a very, I don't know, a thoughtful person who likes in in quiet moments to do this, right? Let's generally like, he is kind, thoughtful, hardworking, right? Mm-hmm. You tend to be we are all so complex and interesting, but generally it's boiled down just to a few things. So it's, I've not thought about that as a personal brand before, but it's a cool way of, of looking at it, right? How are other people describing you yeah. in that sort of brief moment, right? That's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, no, that's cool. exactly what it is. I mean, you think about like a brand, like, like you think about Starbucks or coffee, like people have their own association yeah. with what they think of a Starbucks. That's why they go get Starbucks every day yeah. as opposed to just, you know, getting coffee. coffee. That brand is very important. Yeah. And the last question I have is, what inspires you? What inspires me? Family. Mm-hmm. I think my family inspires me. We're all very similar, but we're all very different. Yeah. One thing that we all have in common is really is we're going to get the job done. You know, I think that's kind of that's uh, that's that's a call thing. Like we're gonna, if if you need us to to do something, like we're gonna put our best foot forward and really attack that. And that's just something that like. I got from my parents, but also in seeing my younger siblings achieve and and grow and build things. I mean, Cam's got a great Cam is working for Meta now as a consultant for Meta no in their digital payments space. Kind of not necessarily risk aligned, but we've been having some conversations where he has to account for different risks. So so just like, you know, and and that's that's my little brother. We grew yeah. up in the same room in the bunk beds, like to see where he's come <laughs> from from back yeah. in those days. And obviously Maya is doing great things. Like in the Bay as well, my younger sister, I mean, she is she's a hard worker, man. She just stays focused, you know what I mean? And and makes sure that she's gonna be able to get her stuff done that comes across her plate. So I mean that's just seeing that we're all kind of the same way. That's definitely inspiration and motivation yeah. to keep moving forward. Well, mate, this has been awesome. I so appreciate all your time today. I was just thinking when you're talking about the brand thing, the three words I would use to describe you, I've got to know the last couple of years, is warm, approachable, and fun. 
right? You just you have this presence when you come in the building where it's like a magnet. People are like, oh, Omar's here, <laughs> so great. And and I wanted to have this conversation to learn more about you, but also just to. I guess it's an opportunity to highlight what incredible sort of grads we have here. And I'm just so blessed to have got to know you better and also that you're still involved in our community. And mm -hmm. thanks for all you give. So, mate, I really appreciate all your time. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I'm always around Davidson Day. Can't get rid of me. So <laughs> that's the way it goes. Thanks again. Thank you. You've been listening to the Davidson Day School Community Podcast, which is hosted by Pete Moore, head of school at Davidson Day. The podcast is recorded on campus in the heart of the Lake Norman area. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to podcasts at davidsonday.org. That's podcasts at davidsonday.org.